0: Hi there and uh, welcome to this Ask Me Anything. A few questions this week coming primarily via email and my website. So I thought I'd take the time to ask them again and answer them. So one of the questions I saw online on my page was, um, are think tanks academic and are they considered part of academia? I'm not sure the context of this in terms of if someone had a specific think tank in mind, but in my experience, in many cases, think tanks actually aren't academic, they might have academics or people with academic titles in them, but in many cases, they are private companies, in some cases, for-profit companies that have an express purpose to come up with ideas to progress a particular agenda. Um, If I'm being cynical, think tanks are often uh, aimed at promoting things that I would consider not beneficial to society, like um, promoting the benefits of fossil fuels, promoting um, unsustainable practices, that unenvironmentally sustainable practices, uneconomically sustainable practices. But that's me being cynical. But certainly, um, my personal view is that think tanks aren't part of academia, and that um, they aren't considered part of academia by academics themselves in terms of whether the general population thinks they're academic you'll have to ask someone who is in the general population I would say that definitely they would be considered to be academic Um, and my anecdotal evidence for that is that in Australia anyway there are some ads on TV that talk about um, research and the benefits of certain products and services Um, in particular there's a group of ads that come across as being independent um, and talk about the benefits of certain painkillers over others Um, and i'm aware that people think that there is actual research that goes into those ads as opposed to it being pure marketing and pure spin so i definitely think it's possible for people to confuse academic research with non-academic research and to confuse um, independent with research, with um, targeted or um, biased research. Uh, the next question, so that's a bit all about think tanks. The next question is, how do I support people writing grants? And this is obviously, these are going to be a bit wide-ranging today. Um, so that supporting people writing grants, uh, there are lots of different methods, but I've got uh, workshops that you can attend. So they're free, they're online, Uh, and you can just watch them at your pleasure or leisure. Uh, They're all on YouTube. I also write blogs that might help you write grants or understand some key parts of grant writing. And again, that's free if you go to my website and search for um, grants on my blog section, you'll be able to find all the blogs that relate to grant writing. In terms of paid activities, I run half-day workshops with covering general principles of good grant writing. Uh, So we're not focused on a particular grant in those instances. We're looking at grant writing in general. If you bring your grant tender or proposal to that um, activity, to that workshop, then I'll happily look at it and we can use your grant as an example of how to write a section or how to edit a section or the kinds of mistakes people make and how to look for and find them and correct them. Then the next level up from that is to work with you more directly, one on one, over three, six, or 12 months. And in those um, instances, I'm generally working on a fee for service basis, uh, generally not on a grants written basis. Um, I don't have a success fee, although my success rate is about 70%. You can't put grant writing costs into a grant application. So my fees aren't included in grants. I don't take a percentage of the grant value. We agree on the cost of me supporting you. And then that is the fixed fee General, generally for grant supporting services. So that's grant writing. Another question I got covers, um, what are my research interests? And um, I, there are many ways to answer this question the, in terms of my PhD. I did a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. Specifically, I looked at how um, cells communicate with each other and how they translate external stimuli into internal action. Specifically, I looked at uh, a a group of enzymes called um, inositol polyphosphate 5-phosphatases. Um, the one I was interested in had an acronym called SKIP, SCI- um, which stands for skeletal muscle inositol polyphosphatase. Uh, and I also looked at how it bound to a receptor um, called tumor necrosis factor and silencer of death domains. Uh, so my research interest in that sense could be considered to be things like cancer and cell signaling. And I, I enjoyed lots of aspects of that. Um, but one of the reasons why I transitioned into a non-academic role is that I didn't like the relationship between the amount of work and effort that I put in and the amount of reward I got. I wanted a more linear relationship so if I worked harder I got a theoretically a better result and I didn't feel that that was the case for me in academia. And I see other people Kind of experiencing that kind of thing now. In terms of now, what are my research interests or how have they changed over time? So, after my PhD, I guess I worked at um, Monash University in the Faculty of Medicine, and I, my interests diverged into more um, business related research activities and what were business best practices and how to plan and support business activities of, in that case, a university. And then my research interests evolved as I became an independent contractor, as I became a uh, small business owner, my research interests diverged into how to run a small business. And so, you know, looking into those kinds of things. And now, because I get, consider myself a career coach, I'm, my research interests are in, in um, what careers people have after their PhD, what careers people are ready for, what careers people need to uh, upskill for, how to build your career, um, how to write a resume, how people are selected when it comes to um, job interviews, how are people selected from resumes, the bias associated with that. So my, my d- research interests have definitely followed my work interests, if that makes sense. And and um, I would quite happily undertake Academic research, if that makes sense, into career and career development. Um, If I had the time, obviously, I need to focus most of my time on helping you and helping other researchers. Uh, The next question that I got is about reading habits and how do you develop a good reading habit, um, and how do you maintain concentration long enough to take the information in? So, developing a good reading habit. the, the approach I take has been to use the advice given out by James Clear and specifically the advice that he's put in his book, Atomic Habits. Uh, if you're interested in the book, I've done a review of Atomic Habits and I've written up some stuff about that uh, on my website. So if you just Google Atomic Habits on my website, you'll, um, you'll be able to find that information. So James Clear advocates, if you're starting from scratch, if you generally don't read yourself, he talks about starting small. Uh, So um, one of his key tenets is to make the habit easy. So starting small is an easy way to do that. Um, So don't think of trying to read a whole book or a whole chapter or even a whole paragraph. Start with a sentence and try to get into the habit of reading a sentence a day. Then once you've got a sentence down, then progress that and make it whatever is the obvious next step for you. That could be um, two sentences, that could be a paragraph, that could be a page and that reading habit approach can be applied to reading whatever it is that you want to read. So for researchers, lots of people want to know how to read more journal articles. And certainly the way to read more articles is to do two things, firstly, to read regularly. So I would say read daily for 15 minutes. And the second thing is to not read every section of every single article you identify initially as worth reading. So what does that mean? So for 15 minutes, that's pretty easy. Set a timer and just read for that amount of time. Uh, in terms of not reading everything that you identify as potentially being worthy of reading, so I would suggest in terms of reading journal articles that you read the title, then you read the abstract. And if after reading those two things, you still think you should read more, then I'd read the discussion and conclusion. If you still think you should read more, then I'd read potentially whether the results or the introduction, depending on where your knowledge is at on that particular topic, then once you've read those sections, you might jump into the methods. But I would advocate that, I would argue, I should say, that you don't need to read an entire journal article to get the gist of the journal article and to understand what it is telling you. And unless you're going to cite that article, certainly reading the entire thing isn't necessary. Now, of course, if you want to repeat experiments from the article, if you want to um, cite the article, if you want to argue for or against components of the article, then having a thorough understanding of that article is essential and thus you'll need to read it thoroughly. But if you're reading so that you can understand your field more effectively if you're reading so you can get a good grasp of the um, baseline evidence in your field, then I think the approach that I suggested, reading um, limited sections and reading out of order is entirely appropriate way uh, of reading. In terms of maintaining concentration for long enough to take information in, like anything, concentration is something that you need to work on to build and develop. So if we take James' clear approach of reading a small amount of information a day, so let's say if we're talking about trying to build a habit of improving your concentration and reading for longer, you might start with reading for one minute, then reading for two minutes, et cetera, until you get to, like I said, I think 15 minutes is plenty. Um, Particularly if we're talking about dedicated reading, not reading for a purpose other than just for the sake of reading. so I would encourage you to work on it in, in that manner. In terms of taking the information in, I use lots of different approaches. Recently, I have um, started to create a two-column layout on a piece of paper or a, a notebook or um, on the computer. And on one side, I write yes and. So that's when I read something, I'll write yes and. So what's the next thing that I'm thinking about in terms of that information. you know, How does it relate to other research that's out there? How does that relate to my experience? How does that relate to other theories, etc.? cetera? Or you might write, no, but. So there's the statement that they've made. No, I disagree, but here's what is different or here's what I think is different or here's what they should have done differently. So yes, and, and no, but. And that can help me distill how this would have impact for me. I also take notes about what would be relevant for people that I work with. So what would be relevant for clients? And I also take notes for what would be relevant for me, actions that I might take. I like to do all of that digitally. So then if I want to search any of that information, it's really easy to do. But if you prefer a paper and pen, by all means do that. That'll help you retain the information. The other thing that I have become more open to is highlighting books. Um, So highlighting sections and pages and paragraphs, hopefully not full paragraphs in books. Previously, I did not want to mark those things up, but now that's become um, one of the ways that I help myself remember. It also means that when I flick through a book, excuse me, when I flick through a book, I can find sections that are worth reading quite quickly because I've highlighted them and that makes recall a bit easier for me. So there's some of the things that you can do to improve your memorization of research articles. The final thing that I've suggested to a few people is this approach put forward to me by Thought Leaders Business School, specifically um, Matt Church. If you Google Thought Leaders Business School and Matt Church, you'll find all of this information. So it's a thing that he calls pink sheets. Um, It really is a visual thing. So if you're watching this, go on Google pink sheets as you go and you'll find this information. Um, If you're listening to this, make a note to go on Google pink sheets. There's a whole website dedicated to it. And it's a very structured way of capturing your thoughts, capturing your intellectual property, Um, It has sections for a metaphor, it has a section for a diagram, it has a section for a pithy statement to kind of summarise the idea. It has a section to describe the information in a bit more length, it has a section to talk about stories that might help you explain the information, and it also has a section for um, studies or the research that you're actually talking about. So that's another way that you can um, help capture the information that you read. Finally, I've also suggested to PhD students that they, if they are taking notes and they are doing it digitally, that they associate that with the article in their reference manager. And this has been really useful for them uh, when it comes to writing things like literature reviews or updating their literature reviews or even writing journal articles, because when they search their EndNote library for particular articles, the summary of the article is right there. If they search for ideas, Not only do the ideas that are in the abstract or the title come up, but also the ideas that are in the summary come up too. So that's a really useful way of searching kind of everything that you might have on a particular article in one go. So that's about me and reading habits and um, also improving the memorization of what I've read. Um, The next question relates to engaging supervisors. And super, so it's um, how do you engage your supervisor in non-work related activities that might impact your work? So that might be um, personal tragedy, personal success, uh, travel, uh, mental health issues, physical health issues, um, the idea of just wanting to have a life other than your PhD. So there's a few ways that you can work on this. The first is to, um, to one, think about the kinds of things that you want to discuss with your supervisor and you could specifically raise it with them as, you know, straight out. I'd like to talk about these things. Um, you could if you could, just set boundaries and say, I'm working from nine to five, Monday to Friday to yourself. And then when your supervisor, when you talk about the work that you do, you can be really explicit in that. you know, this is when I worked, this is what I got done, et cetera. And if your supervisor isn't happy with your productivity, they might say, why did you only do this much? Or why did you only stay till this time? Or how come you didn't get this done? You can say that I want to have a balanced life. And so I only work these times or these days. And that can be the reason why, um, how you can get to bring up the importance of non-research activities and their impact on your research. Um, Other techniques you could try would be to um, connect with your supervisor about these non-research-related activities. So, you know, asking and being interested in um, the answers to questions like, what did you do on the weekend? How are you going? Um, You know, you could even ask, how did you feel at this stage of your PhD? How did you work with your supervisor in your PhD? What was your supervisor like? Um, how am I going as a student? If you want to get that answer, can you rate me on a three-point scale? Am I doing better than, um, than my time suggests? Am I on time? Am I behind schedule? Uh, just getting a three-point scale answer might be really useful. And then you might say, you know, why, why have you given me that um, assessment? So whether that's a positive one, a neutral one or a negative one, or you might ask what should I, given that assessment, what should I focus on next? So given that I'm ahead, what should I do next? Given that I'm on par, what should I do next? Given that I'm behind, what should I do next? So these are some of the things that you might do to engage your supervisor on non-work related activities and particularly explain how they might impact your research activity. Um, so there you go. There are the questions that I got this week on asking anything as usual, feel free to attend this session. Uh, if you're interested in asking a question, feel free to put it in the in the um, comment box below, or shoot me an email, or send me an SMS, and I'll answer it on my next AMA, which is on the um, the 17th, the 19th, I should say, of May. Look forward to seeing you then. Next week on the workshop, we're going to be looking at improving your social media game. So if you're wondering how you can get more active on social media without necessarily spending more time or losing time to social media, uh, we're going to cover some of that in that workshop. So if you like this, please um, share, like, subscribe, tell your friends, because uh, it helps me help you and it helps me help them and helps them find it. Take care, everyone. Bye.